0: I've mentioned this several times in the past, but I wrestled in high school. I was on the high school wrestling team. Love wrestling, uh, but let me tell you about my very first match. Um, my very first match, before I started wrestling, I did not know that wrestling was like an actual sport. I thought it was just something me and my brother did like in the you know in the floor. Um, but you know, had rules and stuff. So I signed up and I was on the team for like three weeks, okay, so I'm a pro at this point. And our coach has set up this scrimmage opportunity. It's like a tournament, it was a scrimmage tournament. And the way it worked is your coaches would just pair you up with with random people it didn't count. It was just for experience. My very first thing, I'm like, Coach, I know like two moves. Like, what am I supposed to do? He said, Chris, you do your best. I got you a guy. That's your guy over there. And I see him. I'm like, Okay. He looked kind of small. He looked a lot smaller than me. I'm like, This this won't even be fair. I mean, I, I've been beating up my younger brother my whole life. I got this guy. So I see him, and he, he grabs him by the like collar, you know, and brings me. And said, Listen. I want you just to do your best. And I'm like, yeah, I mean, I got this guy, right? So I go out, I line up with this guy. We shake hands, they blow the whistle, and I don't remember what happened next. All I know is that pain, and there was like, you know the lights that come on when you hit yourself in the eye socket with your own kneecap? You know that? Uh, Well, I, I had that experience, and then there was another whistle, and I was like, unbuttoning my headgear and walking to the sideline, and my buddies on the bench are just like laughing at me and pointing, and my coach is just clapping and smiling. What happened, buddy? I'm like, I I don't know. And to this day, I don't know what happened, but I did some research, Uh, the evidence was clear, my friends had uh, seen it. I got pinned in under six seconds, is all I know. (laughs) And my coach said, look, man, I just gotta be straight with you, you never had a chance. He said, that kid was state champion in his weight class last year. (laughs) I was like, thanks, coach. So that's the day I learned not to trust people. And um, wrestling. So I I bring up wrestling because uh, it's an experience that I had. I I love doing it. But today we're starting a brand new teaching series called Wrestling... With God. And of course, there's a physical wrestling thing. Wrestling is a sport. It's probably the oldest sport in history. You probably did it with a younger sibling. uh, And maybe you had darker days where it was in a back alley or in a bar somewhere. Hopefully, you can work past that. But wrestling is something we understand because it's also a metaphor. You know, you wrestle through things, you wrestle through fears and temptation, you wrestle with your self esteem, you wrestle with your self image, right? We wrestle with, you get it, right? And many of us wrestle with God. In this same way, we wrestle with our identity. We wrestle with our past. We wrestle with his presence. Or are you even there? Right? There's this wrestling that goes on. And if you look through the Bible, the entire Bible is essentially a book. It's a library of 66 books, but it is a collection of books that are about people who wrestled with God. That is what the Bible is. These are real people with real problems and how God inserted himself into their lives and how they worked through that. And so this wrestling with God thing is not just a clever, cliche metaphor. It is a very real picture of what it looks like to interact with God. And so to get us going this morning, we're going to be diving into our first wrestling with God story. Over the course of this series, we're going to be looking at some of those individual lives and studying them and asking ourselves, what can we learn from their wrestling match with God. We're going to start with a guy named Jacob. If you got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. You can open it on your phone. If you don't have a paper Bible that you uh, like to use, we got free Bibles that we give away every week when we need to. They're back at the coffee bar. Don't feel weird for getting up, going and getting one. Ask somebody back there where they are if you don't see them. And it's yours. You can keep it if you need it, or if you just want to borrow it for the Sunday and put it back, that's fine too. Um, so grab a Bible. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 32 today. Genesis chapter 32. Genesis is the very first book of the Bible. And Genesis is the story of God creating Not only uh, the world, but also creating his nation, the the nation of Israel that will become, you know, the main people group that the Bible talks about for a good two-thirds of of the story. Genesis chapter 32, we meet a guy named Jacob. If you don't know who Jacob is, maybe you've heard of his grandfather. His grandfather's name was Abraham. Okay, Abraham uh, has another kid named Isaac. Isaac has a kid named Jacob. There's a whole story there. Jacob ends up being one of the most important people in history. I mean, really, especially the history of the Bible. But when we first meet Jacob, he's kind of a scoundrel. I mean, in fact, a lot of these guys are when you first meet them. They're not making God-honoring decisions. He was the younger brother of a guy named Esau. In fact, they were twins, but he was born just a little bit afterwards. The Bible says he was holding on to his brother's heel as he came out. And uh, the brothers had differences, man. They got, they've gotten arguments like brothers do, but more than most brothers, because what Jacob did was he tricked his brother into giving up his inheritance birthright. And through, through a series of like legal loopholes from their culture, he basically tricked his brother into letting him supplant his brother as the legal heir to all of his father's stuff and God's blessing. If you know the story of Abraham, God blessed Abraham and said, I'm going to make you great. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. That promise goes on to the son Isaac, and Isaac's going to have the same promise. And then now, because of this swindler, that promise... Goes on to Jacob. Now, there's questions that we have as modern day people like, why would God honor that promise? I mean, if he stole it in the first place, why wouldn't God just come in and be like, hey, no? Uh, We're going to find out that actually God is in favor of using this situation. God specializes in using broken people for his glory, and it's going to turn out very interesting uh, in the end. So, Genesis chapter 32. Now, here's the deal Genesis chapter 32 is 20 years later after the birthright's been stolen, after the first fight has happened. And the last thing that Esau, the brother that got, you know, taken advantage of, the last thing he said about Jacob was, I'm gonna kill you. So what does Jacob do? Well, Jacob runs. He runs away from his brother. He goes far, far away, and he forgets his old life. And while he's there, he does pretty good for himself. He gets married. Couple times. This is back when people just had like multiple wives at the same time. So he's got that going on. He has some kids, couple kids, quite a few kids. He makes some wealth, quite a bit of wealth. He becomes very well off. And Jacob's life is sitting pretty good until God comes to him and says, hey, I need you to go back to where you came from. You're running away from a promise that I gave to your family and you're the heir of that promise. You need to go claim it. So he heads back to the land of his grandfather, Abraham. And that place is called Canaan. Canaan's the promised land. Um, He'd come back to claim his inheritance. But here's the thing. It's been 20 years, but guess what? Guess who's still there? Esau. And Esau has not forgotten about his brother. He's not had his last word yet. So scripture says that Esau comes to meet Jacob with 400 fighting men. How many fighting men have you got? You might have like some boys, 400. He's got an army, okay? So Jacob's approaching, the word gets back to Jacob that Esau's coming towards him with 400 men and it looks like there's going to be a battle. Obviously, Jacob's stressed about it, so Jacob decides to divide his people up and be smart about it, so he sends his wives out with their kids one at a time in little clusters of people to approach Esau one at a time, kind of hopefully, like, okay, maybe if Esau sees that I have these wives and these kids and these servants, maybe he'll take pity on me. Maybe he'll see them and be like, oh, those are my nieces and nephews. Oh, I can't kill their dad. Like, maybe, I guess that was his thought process. I don't know, and then we pick up chapter 20, chapter 32, verse 22. We finally get to scripture where we're going to read it says that night Jacob got up he took his two wives his two female servants his 11 sons and crossed the ford at Jabok. that's kind of a tributary to the Jordan River if you're into that kind of stuff verse 23 after he had sent them across the stream he sent over all his possessions we're going to stop halfway through this verse so Jacob was left alone Jacob sends everything over to cross this little this little stream. This isn't just a few things and a few people. He had a caravan. He was moving. This is before the days of U-Haul. So this is a wealthy man now. He's got lots of livestock. And he's moving everything he owns. And so imagine a caravan. I don't know if it was camels and donkeys and horses and wagons. I don't know. But a lot of stuff. He sends it all in front of him. And he is now sitting all by himself on the other side of this this stream. But it's a fairly good-sized body of water. Because it is a natural barrier between him and what is soon to be his brother, who is right now his enemy. And in this moment, Jacob is having his own wrestling with God moment. God, what do I do? i got to face my brother. I'm supposed to go claim this land that's supposed to be mine. Have you ever dealt with an inheritance, like, squabble with siblings? Like, it's never pretty if you don't agree. So he's freaking out. He knows his brother wants to kill him. That's the last thing he said to him. He actually understands why his brother wants to kill him. Like, he's like, it's it's understandable. Now that I'm a grown-up, I realize that probably wasn't very cool of me. (laughs) He also knows that God made promises and that he's supposed to be going to claim this promise. So Jacob intends to spend the night alone praying wrestling and crying out desperately before God so check this out this is going to be verse 24 chapter 32 20, verse 24 so Jacob was left alone <laughs> you ready for this? this is a weird sentence and a man wrestled with him till daybreak you didn't misread that that is a yes that is a weird sentence he was left alone, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. What in the world is going on? Like, There's a lot of weird moments in the Bible. Uh, this may be one of the strangest wrestling matches in history. Um, because Jacob is he's on a little camping trip, okay? He's having a little, little alone time. He's sitting by his fire, working through his thoughts, having some me time. And then under the cover of darkness, this dude confronts him, attacks him, or something, and they wrestled? Like, if if it was a robber, this is a wealthy guy, Jacob. If it was a robber, he's going to get stabbed in the back with a little knife, right? Uh, If it's his brother Esau coming over or his brother's, you know, soldiers, he's going to come over with, you know, I don't know, hit him in the back of the head with a rock or a sword or something, right? But this guy's not trying to kill Jacob. He wrestles him. And it says they wrestled through the night, but the guy doesn't try to kill him. I just think that's an interesting tidbit of the story. Uh, my son has gotten to an age where he's constantly trying to challenge me. We are right now in the middle of a push-up contest. Every day, 200 push-ups. Uh, and uh, whew, I'm gonna be honest with you, it ain't easy. It ain't easy. We're like, we're we halfway through? We're more than halfway through. My wife has joined us. She's a champ. But my son's always challenging me. And the one thing he swears he can do is beat me um, in anything. And I I just got to tell him he's not right about that. It's just not true. Here's the thing. If you're a grown man in this room, you know this. There's something called dad strength. Like, if your dad is 75 years old right now, you won't fight him. Uh, Unless you're a jerk. Come on, man. What are you doing? But seriously, like, you, you, it takes something to beat your dad because dads get stupid strong when their sons are trying to I will dislocate every joint in my body before my son beats me, right? That's where I'm going to go with this thing. And so he's always like, dad. Now, here's the thing, though. When I inevitably... Outstrength him. He gets scrappy. Okay, we were wrestling on the other night, man. He got these knuckles, man. He tries to drive them into my rib cartilage and like put his chin in my neck. And here's the thing: it hurts. And I'm like, ow, that's not fair. But then I'm like, yeah, but I respect that. I respect that you're scrappy. Like you're going to try to do everything you can to beat me, and so I want you to hold that image in your head because sometimes we get outmatched, but we just got to do whatever we can just to hold on. So anyway, Jacob's matching uh, wrestling with this this unnamed person, and they go through the night, and what we find out is it's like a stalemate. Like no one's really gaining any ground. They're just wrestling. There's a struggle. Maybe Jacob sensed that his life was in danger. I'm guessing he thought that this guy was from Esau, like his brother. I mean, what else? Who's going to attack me right now? Who knows that I'm here except for this army of 400 people, and they're out to get me. So then verse 25 happens. Let's read this, verse 25. And when the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Okay, I'm a sports nut, nut. if Bo Jackson, anybody remember what happened to Bo Jackson? Dude, like, ran his hip out of socket one time in a football game. Like, it just, that's how strong, how much torque he had in his legs. I've heard that, like, dislocating your hip could be one of the most painful things, you know, that you can go through. And so this is kind of what this, this man who's wrestling Jacob does for him. He touches his hip and wrenches it while they're out of socket. He has dislocated the guy's hip. So... Then in verse 26, the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. Just because I know the end of the story, and maybe you do too, I picture that this guy's not even out of breath, okay? And that Jacob's like, okay, okay. Well, but Jacob's hip is dislocated. But Jacob replied, I will not let go unless you bless me. So after the hip dislocation thing, it looks like, It starts to dawn on Jacob that, like, this is no ordinary man. The pain in his hip was proof of that. But Jacob is now just holding on for dear life. Through the pain, through the fear, he's not letting go of this person that's wrestling with him. And as the man asked to be let go, Jacob held on. He gets scrappy, and he says, I'm not going to let go until you bless me. Apparently, the guy respects that. I respect your I respect your spunk. Verse 27. The man asked him, "Okay. What is your name?" "Jacob," he answered. And then the man said, well, "Your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome." Now, if you ever walk in downtown Wilmington and someone's like, hey, your name is Israel. What is your name? Your name is John. You know, and they start changing your name. Like, that person's crazy. Keep walking, okay? But when you wrestle a guy all night long and just with the touch of his finger can dislocate your hip, you recognize this individual is not of this world, okay? This individual has power that you've never experienced before. And I think Jacob realized something. He realizes, like, I'm in the presence of something great and powerful. And the angel says, or the person he's wrestling with says, what's your name? Let's talk about these names. Uh, First, the name Jacob. The the name Jacob is, uh, it sounds very similar in Hebrew, which is the language that they spoke, to the word deceiver. Jacob's name means deceiver. In fact, this had kind of been Jacob's identity for his whole life. Isn't that how he got all his, like, his promise from his God, and from his dad, and then he left. And that, that whole deception thing of his brothers what led to his life. So in his mind, at least, he's the guy who tricked his brother. He is the deceiver. He's a cunning, scheming, deceiving person. And that's why his brother was mad at him. That's why he's facing this junction that he's facing right now. And the man that Jacob was wrestling says, okay, well, that was your name. You were the deceiver, but now you've got a new name. Your name is Israel. Because you have struggled with God and with humans and you have overcome. You know what the name Israel means? The name Israel means one who wrestles with God. One who wrestles with God. And Jacob is stunned because now he knows who he's dealing with. He just wrestled a messenger of God. But he wants more information. I appreciate Jacob. Verse 29, Jacob says, well, please tell me your name. We're exchanging names here. Please tell your name. And this, this messenger of God replied, why do you ask me your name, my name? That's all he says. He doesn't tell him his name. Then he blessed him. So Jacob called the, the place a Peniel saying, it is because I saw God face to face, yet my life was spared. So Jacob, or Israel now, he went away limping from that day. But even in his pain, he never felt more alive. Because he had wrestled with God and overcome. In the Old Testament, there are several appearances of of, uh, what is called an angel of the Lord, or a messenger from Yahweh, or like lots of different phrases like that, this messenger. The word angel means messenger. And so there's a lot of debate over who this guy was. Some people have this cool thought that this guy was actually maybe a pre-incarnate, visitation of Jesus himself. In fact, there's several moments in the Bible where a super powerful figure shows up and does an amazing thing to kind of reset the, the, the course of the nation of Israel and, their, their life. and a lot of people will look at those moments and that individual and say, I bet that was Jesus. Now, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't seriously have a strong opinion about it. I don't think it says that so I think it's best to just read it like it, what it says and, and like it's cool to think but man, what if it was? Like Jacob met Jesus. How how appropriate would that be? But whether it's Jesus or whether it's another angel, uh, just a messenger from God, clearly we know that when you wrestle with that person, do you win? Heck no. I mean, this is a messenger from God. This is a supreme being. This is not a human. And Jacob figured that out the hard way. God could have destroyed Jacob with a word. But instead, he comes down to challenge Jacob and give Jacob an opportunity to look back on and then just touches him on the hip with his finger to remind him the power that he has. This was not about teaching Jacob some—sorry, this was about Jacob learning a lesson about the power of God and being in his presence. And I think it's a lesson that we can learn for our life and our faith today. So what we're going to do for the rest of our time right now is we're going to get into some— lessons that we learned from Jacob, okay? And I've just got a couple. And these are things that as we look at Jacob's life, this is gonna lay the foundation for the rest of this teaching series. So this is just like the first one of several that we're gonna look at. We're gonna be looking at other stories from the Bible and their wrestling matches with God. Uh, None of them are quite as literal as Jacob's. I mean, he's like literally wrestling with God or a messenger from God at the very least. And so let's just see what we learned. If you're a note taker, this would be a good time to jot some things down. This is the first thing that that I walk away with from Jacob's story, number one. God wants to bless us. At the very least, God wants to bless Jacob. We see that, okay? But as I look through all of Scripture and the messages that we learn all the way in the Old Testament, all the way to the New Testament where we learn about the church, which is the era that we live in, I understand that God loves us and he wants us to do well in life. He wants to bless us. And God could have simply spoken to Jacob in a dream or a vision and be like, hey, by the way, you're blessed. Like, he could have said that. But instead, he wants to have this physical interaction with Jacob so that it can really set the course of the rest of his life. Why the wrestling match? I like what an author named John Bloom says about this in a writing he did about it in a book. He said, Jacob began the night dreading Esau's arrival. Oh yeah, remember that? Like, that's why he's camping in the first place. There are 400 dudes on the other side of that stream waiting for him right now. He can probably see their fires. That's how he started the night. But John Bloom says, but he ended the night with God's blessing and a renewed faith. All of our struggle with God in faith leads to peace. All of our struggle with God in faith leads to peace. See, sometimes we want an instant fix for what we're going through. But what God wants from us more than that is that we seek his presence and we know his power. Why was Jacob praying that night? What do you think his prayer was? God, help. (laughs) And God's like, I'm going to take your mind off that pain, boy. (laughs) I'm going to make you think about something else. I'm going to let you recognize my power first. And it's going to change who he is. God wants to bless you. Now, when we talk about blessing, we talked about blessing some last week. And when you think about being blessed, maybe you get the notion that to be blessed means to be wealthy, to be rich, to be well taken care of. Sometimes, but I'm going to tell you, like, I'm pretty positive that when God talks about blessing you, I think he really is not thinking about money at all, okay? So this is what we talked about last week. I want to reiterate it some this week, that blessing at its core, what it means is that we get to a state in our life where we're not worried about this life. We find a place of peace because we understand that we're taken care of. So yeah, that's why being wealthy feels like a blessing because a lot of times when you're wealthy, you have fewer, you know, tangible issues to look at. But look, if you've ever had much wealth, you recognize it comes with problems too. Mo money, mo problems. A great philosopher said that once. And so, when God blesses us, it's about putting us not rich, but within his will. Because when we align ourselves with God's will, we 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 find priority. In perspective and then we realize maybe Esau's right on the other side of the stream but God is good God is powerful and no matter what else happens in this world he's still there and he is supreme and he is who I should work worship uh, so you may not know it you may not feel it but I want you to know that from everything I can understand from God's Word God wants to bless you that's the first lesson second lesson that I walk away from is this that God wants you to move beyond your past God wants you to move beyond your past. We spend so much time looking into our rearview mirror, blaming our whole life on what happened in our past. Now I get it. I believe me, it is factual science that there is a cause and effect to the things that happened in our past that drive us to what we're in our present. Right? That's that's that is true. But when God asked Jacob his name, he was not asking about his identity. He wasn't looking for his driver's license. God was asking Jacob about his character. He said, what is your name? Jacob said, I'm a deceiver. Mm. Tell you what, let me give you a new name. You're one who knows how to wrestle with God. So let me just ask you a question right now. What is your name? How do you see yourself? What labels have other people put on you? When you look in the mirror, do you see those labels, whether it's people from work or people from your past? You know the things that people told us in the second grade? They still bother you unless you've been able to work through it. I believe that God looks at each one of us. This is is Jesus stuff, actually. And he says, what is your name? How do you see yourself? Let me give you a new life. Let me give you a new identity, not based on your failures and not based on your past, even if your past was good. Congratulations, you were good. But based on my presence, what is your name? Let me name you. Let me give you purpose. Let me identify who you are. God's not done with you. He wants to restore you. He wants to give you a new name. But here's the deal. It takes a wrestling match. In fact, a lot of times it takes lots of wrestling matches, like daily wrestling matches, depending on how much you're going through. And and it's important for us to take some time and get away, like Jacob did, (laughs) leave our problems on the other side of the stream and just take some time to wrestle with God. Now Hopefully he won't wrench your hip out of socket, but I'm tell you what. a lot of times he does. Uh, you could talk to a lot of people in this room right now because I know you and you're my friends and I love you. I'm not going to call you out, but I hope you build relationships. They, there are people in this room, I'm one of them, and you walk with a limp because of something in your past. I hope that limp has come from a place of being touched by God, that you realize, man, I had to turn my life around. My past is still my past, but God wants to move you beyond your past. So take some time to wrestle with God, and I encourage you to sit at the fire, wherever that is for you, your back porch, your living room, your special place, and just like Jacob, you may start with a simple prayer. Help. But then wait for God to interact with you. Don't expect it to happen in one night. I tell you where it happens really well, in community. That's why the church is so powerful in a person's life because you're not alone. Which takes us to the third lesson that we learned from Jacob, at least that I learned from Jacob, and this is God wants you to face the day, but you're not alone. God wants you to face the day. Isn't it great to know that God wants to bless you? Yeah. Isn't that great? But you know, God wants you to face the day. After wrestling with God, guess who who was still waiting on the other side of that stream? Esau and 400 dudes probably with swords and clubs. Jacob still had to wake up and figure something out. He had sent his wife and children over there, and now he's like, oh, shoot. Wait, maybe this isn't about a fight. Like Maybe i got to do something different. So Jacob, I've been saying Jacob, his name is Israel. Israel wakes up, walking with a limp, by the way, (laughs) and he's got to face his brother Esau. Well, how do you think he feels? You think Jacob was scared? Probably still scared, yeah. Still the dude over there. And as he approaches his brother, though, something different happens. And I don't know what Jacob was planning on doing before all this, but what he does is beautiful. Scripture says that as he approached his brother, seven times he stopped and he bowed down on his face and humbled himself before his brother." And then he got up. And he stopped. And he bowed down on his face. he humbled himself before his brother. And he humbled himself before his brother, 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 and he humbled himself before his brother. And he before his brother. Seven times, very symbolic number of times in that culture for sure. So that as he's approaching, presumably for battle, what does his brother see? Jacob bowing down. I'm not here to fight you. I know I did wrong. I don't think I can beat you anymore. I want your forgiveness. Over seven times. And then we're blown away by what happens. Look at verse 30, uh, chapter 33 now. Skip a chapter. Verse 4. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him and he threw his arms around his neck and he kissed him and they wept. It's the plot of a Hallmark movie. It's beautiful. Like we were gonna see a battle, like it was gonna be battle royale and then it's like, what? They're hugging and crying? Like I didn't see that coming at all. It had been 20 years and guess what? Esau had lived some life too. Esau had been married, had children, gained wealth too. And he's not mad anymore. They had a conversation. They finally get to meet their nieces and nephews. And Israel faced the day. But after his encounter with the Lord, he knew he was not alone. When we realize we're not alone, we can face things that we, no chance we would have faced on our own. Loneliness is, I've heard it called, I believe it was a, an author named Shane Claiborne. And I love his books. I think it was him who said that uh, loneliness is, is the leprosy of our world. It's the plague of our generation. It's something that just eats us up and it's hard to express. And we've been living in a time of isolation due to this pandemic. and uh, Loneliness is heavy. I talked to friends recently who are surrounded by people but feel lonely. It's hard to come out of that. But I want you to know you're not alone. You've got God Almighty who is hoping for you to turn your heart to him. And he's got a family of believers all over the world called the church. Sometimes it takes some boldness to reach out and make some friends. And sometimes it takes uh, someone else to say, hey, you all right? But we can face the day knowing that we're not alone. Now, Jacob and Esau did not fight, but that is not how it always goes. Uh, It's not always a pretty hallmark ending, is it? Um, in my 39 years of life, I have not yet found the life hack where I get to just skip my problems. Haven't found it. Some of you guys are older. You all found that hack yet? You all figured out how to just skip life's problems yet? No, it's not an option. It just, we just can't. But we still have to face the day. But I found that when I'm aligned with God's will and God's desires, which is what it means to be blessed, I can face those moments knowing that I'm not alone. Knowing that, I might get cut down. The hopes and dreams that I had for this moment might not have come through, but God is good. And he loves me and his promises endure. And Jesus offers me fresh, new, renewed life where I can put my past behind me and move on to the things he has for me. And I could tell you a lot of stories about moments where the things that I hoped would happen didn't happen. I can also tell you that when you're in God's will, those broken moments don't have to define you anymore. You get a new name. The book of 1 Peter says you are chosen, a holy nation, royal priesthood. We're called set apart. We're called as precious possession. And guys, this is just the beginning of this teaching series as we're talking about wrestling with God. And I'm looking forward to unpacking some more of those stories. But here's my challenge for us today. This is it. That we get out there and we walk out onto the mat and we shake hands and wait for the whistle to blow. But don't do it alone. Do your best to find yourself in community with people. Come back next week. We're going to be doing this for several weeks. Come back next week. If you're watching online and you feel comfortable coming in person, come, come here in person. Or watch line. Leave some comments. Help us connect you with people. You don't have to do this alone. God wants us to bring him our brokenness, our ugliness, our struggles, our pain, our poverty, our past. He wants us to lay it down to his feet. He wants us to tell him our name. And then he wants to give us a new identity. And then we can face the day knowing that we're not alone. Let me pray for us this morning.